safe to assume that I don't know about you and you don't know about me. Can we agree? Coming. No, no, coming now. Oh, you washed up. Sorry. Welcome to the island of discarded women, my friend. I used to be somebody. Are you that woman on the radio? Your island job is peladora de papas. Uh, sorry, what? Potato peeler. 87% match for uh, your skills. Okay, that's not. Anyway, what is the second best match then? Host of the island podcast. Are you kidding me? No, no, see, that's me. That That's perfect for me. It's a beautiful day today, isn't it, Day? It's so beautiful. Yeah, oh. Wow, those seagulls are really loud today, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they really are. Oh, oh. sounds like there are more birds than just seagulls. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Hey, where's Miri? Oh, Miri, our lovely virtual assistant. Yes, she is charging up. Oh. Yes, her new chip, it just eats up tons of memory, and she's got to charge this constantly. So anyway, that's Gosh. what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I guess we won't be knowing things until she gets back. Yeah, nothing. we won't be able to know anything until yeah. our assistant gets back. Yep. Okay. That's right. Yep, that's right. Wait, is that, a, is that a loon? Huh? Am I hearing a loon? Wait, wait, that would be weird. Well, I don't know. Would it be weird? They do migrate south. They do migrate. Okay, uh-huh. but I don't think they migrate here to our island, Sue. Well, I'm guessing they must. If we're hearing them, aren't you hearing them? No, no. I can hear them. The loons, the loons. They're welcoming us back. Okay, they're talking to us now. <laughs> okay. They're I, talking to us now. I you know hearing they're talking too. to us now? I know. Yes, no. Oh, Ben went crazy as a loon. Okay, you uh, heard that, didn't you? Okay. okay they are I talking. Did. The loons are talking. Okay, they're talking. Wait, we must be hearing someone else on the beach, no. not the loons. No, 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 no. There is nobody else on the beach. There is nobody else on okay, the beach. Okay, okay. Maybe loons talk. Maybe no parrots do. talk. That's true. Oh. I was a complete loon. Okay, let me get this straight. I get that loons can talk to each other. I don't get that they can talk to us. Well, maybe they do. You know what? We should ask Mary. Except Mary. she's not here. Remember, she's oh. charging. Then I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Because we don't have an AI assistant who's ready to answer every single question at a moment's notice. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. everyone has a virtual assistant now. Is that true? Because that's really sad. That's just like really sad. Hey, you know, sad. I bet we could find a sub AI assistant while Mary's charging. You know, I'll Google that. Or you could just Google do loons talk and then we could go home. No, right? no, no Sue, this is way better. Okay, <laughs> okay. Okay, all right, okay, okay, okay. Hey, okay, here's an app of AI assistants created from celebrity voices. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that even legal? Well, maybe. It must be. It's on Google. Well, okay. All right. It must be. Ooh, hey! What? Here's an app with, like, actors and comedians. Okay, what about this one? What? What, what, What's this one? Hey, it's just me, Paula Poundstone. Oh. Did you know that the game of ping pong can introduce neuroplastic alterations in multiple brain networks, including motor-related areas, ultimately leading to improved executive functions. Now, I play a fair amount of ping pong myself and am pretty good at it, actually, but I did not know about this neuroplastic alterations in multiple brain networks business. Oh, okay, so, uh, so, hi, excuse me, uh, virtual Paula Poundstone. Um, why are we talking about ping pong? Right. 
Well, I was thinking about my name, Paula Poundstone, and yeah. realized that Paula Poundstone plays ping pong would be a really good vocal warm-up. Huh. Don't you think, with oh. all the plosives? You know, we were wanting to know about loons. Yeah, loons. 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 Uh, loons. Uh, 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 oh, well, why didn't you say so? That's a horse of a different color. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Frank Morgan yeah. from The Wizard of Oz? Yes, 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 sure. yes, yes. Well, why didn't you say so? That's a horse of a different color. Yeah, I love that. that. Yeah. God. <laughs> did, yeah. did you know that they filmed the movie entirely on an MGM set in Culver City? Oh. Fields of poppies? Poppies! Nope, all fake. <gasps> all fake, okay, okay. Sorry, what, 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 what did you want to know about yeah, again? Yeah, yeah, we were, uh, loons, loons. Right, loons. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. Now, now, here's something I did not know. What's that? The Looney Tunes characters made a parody video of The Wizard of Oz. Oh, oh really? Bugs Bunny as the Tin Man. Oh, okay. Oh. Wiley Coyote as the Scarecrow. How about a little fire, Scarecrow? Oh. Lola Bunny as Dorothy. There's no place like home. Wake up, honey. Oh. And Sylvester oh. the Cat as the Cowardly Lion. <laughs> Scared, huh? Afraid, huh? Oh, and Tweety makes an appearance as Dorothy's dog, Toto. Oh, oh. Anyway, you, you, you wanted to know something about loons, yeah, right? Loons. Oh, yeah, 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 we were curious if loons talk. I, I know, it's, uh, it's, uh, actually, uh, we're curious if they migrate to our island. Okay, uh -huh. okay. Yeah. Uh, loon, <laughs> yeah. loon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Loons. Whoa. What? Did, did you know that adult loons don't have a predator? Wait, really? Wow. But the loon chicks have tons of predators like skunks, Ooh. raccoons. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Ravens and crows. <laughs> snapping turtles. <laughs> and big mouth bass. Hey, get out of my yard! Sorry, sorry. That that should be largemouth bass. Hey, get out of my yard! Okay, wait, wait, wait. Are you just Googling all of this? Yeah. How do you think I know all this stuff? <gasps> but wait, but wait. you're an AI assistant, yeah. Paula. Sub. I, I'm an AI assistant sub. Oh. In training. Oh. I, I haven't got my wings yet, if you know what I mean. No, oh. I. It's, I a, it's, don't. A, it's no. a Wonderful Life reference. It's about a, it's a movie called no, Wonderful Life. That, yeah, that yeah, yeah. was a movie, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, that was. That we was. watched that every year yeah. at the holidays when my kids were little. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good one. Wow, that is, yeah. That's good. Oh. Whoa. So glad they're out of the house. Rips your heart out right there, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does, it does, it does. Okay, so let's, let's just see if I understand this. You are an AI assistant. Sub, sub assistant oh. in training. Okay, in training, right, 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 right. But you're still AI generated, correct? No, no, not yet. Not until I pass the test. Pencils down. Okay, oh. wait, wait. So wait. then in the meantime, you're wait. still an actual person? Yeah, it's just me, Paula Poundstone, remember? But, but, okay, but, but where are you? Like I know. 
Uh, okay, but okay. how do you just show up in this app with AI assistance created by celebrity voices? Right. Hey, I just go where they tell me to go. So, so where are you? Oh, oh well, well, we're on the island of discarded women. Yeah. That sounds cheerful. Um, is that near Gilligan's Island? No. Speaking of discarded, those it's, poor people. Oh. I, they charter a boat, yep. the SS Minnow, yep. and two crew and five passengers go on a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour mm -hmm. from Honolulu. But, but then they run into a storm, and they're shipwrecked. Oh, on an yeah. uncharted island yeah. somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Are you shipwrecked on your island? No, uh, no, we wash up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but from a ship? Uh, probably. Yeah. yeah probably. You, you don't know? Mm, no. Not, not really. No, we don't well, really know. Well, can you leave? Can you get well, away? Well, hopefully. I mean, eventually. Fingers crossed. But, um, I mean, I've got a podcast right now, so I really can't just pick up and leave. No, you know, no, no. Right. You can't just leave if you have a podcast. No, of course, of course not. not. No, of course not. No, 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 no. Did you know that Gilligan's Island's creator explained that the concept, people with different characters and backgrounds, being no. in a situation where they need to learn how to get along and cooperate with each other to survive is still the most important idea in the world today. Wow. Hmm. That is so cool. I, I did not know that. I didn't know that Gilligan's Island was striving towards such a lofty goal. Right. Did yeah. anybody know that? Yeah. Did you know that? And here's another yeah. thing I didn't know. The final yeah. day of filming the pilot of Gilligan's Island was Friday, November 22nd, 1963, oh. the day of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Wow. The cast and crew learned of the assassination late that morning, mm -hmm. Hawaii time. And between filming scenes, they crowded around the radio listening to the news. And now, the breaking news from Washington, D.C. And a reminder of the tragedy appears in the opening sequence of the show's first season. When the theme song is played, yeah. as the minnow is leaving the harbor and yeah. heading out to sea, yeah. an American flag flying at half-staff can be seen in the background. Wow. wow. I didn't know that. That is amazing. Well, thank you for yeah, letting us know that. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Virtual. Well, hey, it's just me, Paula Pounds, still yeah. doing my job. Yeah. Well, you know, Paula, you totally deserve your wings now. Yes, okay. yes. Yeah, that was yes. good. Well, if you good. could give me a five-star review on the app, I'd sure appreciate oh, it. Oh, hey. that's easy. Done, 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 done. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, signing off then. Okay. Beam me up, Scotty. Oh, beam, oh. oh, hi. Hi. She's going to go somewhere. Okay. Oh. Oh, hi, Fancy. It's really like a. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. But can you ever come back? I can't come back. I don't know how it works. Okay, bye. Bye, Paula. Paula? I like her. Oh, everybody likes Paula. Yeah. So, yeah. Sue. Yeah? You know, um, that, that one island. Oh, Gilligan's Island? Yeah. yeah. Is it near us? I have no idea. Oh, you know who would know? Mary would know. Mary would totally know. I she would Mary. totally know. Yeah, yeah.
Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Wow. That was hilarious. I think a song is necessary about it right now. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, In 1980, I got to be the first actress with a visual disability to play Annie Sullivan, Helen Keller's teacher in The Miracle Worker at the Arkansas Children's Theater. Now, many people don't know this, but Annie Sullivan was also legally blind. Not quite the same as me, but still. Until this production, no theater had ever attempted to promote real people casting for that role. Also for me, it was the first time that a director had ever asked me to show my sight limitation as I moved about on stage, not hide it. Back then, disability success was when someone said, gee, I can't even tell. Now, you're probably thinking this right now because I'm not wearing my glasses, but that's because I'm wearing a high-powered contact lens in my right eye, which is actually better for me than glasses, and it gives me more focus because I have tunnel vision, and I'm completely blind in my left eye. Here, let me show you how I see. Cover your left eye. Now, make a spy glass with your right. There, now you can see the right way like I do. And this gives you one point of view, mine. <laughs> I was born totally blind. My mother had German measles, which resulted in me having cataracts in both of my eyes. And they extracted the cataracts through what they called a keyhole type surgery, which left me some sight, but only in my right eye. I got my first pair of glasses when I was 10 months old. They were so small that my parents had to special order them from the House of Vision in Chicago. <laughs> Unfortunately, our dog ate them. <laughs> my parents then decided to wait until I was three to try it again. So as a kid, I wore super thick pink cat eye glasses. My mother taught me to walk by having me follow her snapping fingers. And then I tackled running by myself by putting my left arm out like a machete to whack away at obstacles. So I used memorization plus the sight in my right eye for my personal GPS. 
I didn't even know. I couldn't really even see well until I was about four. And I ran up to hug my sister after her dance concert, and I hugged the wrong girl. <laughs> oh, I was embarrassed. I knew I went to the hospital repeatedly so that they could fix my eyes. But the why of it never made sense until that moment. Better sight could equal right girl. My sister found me and hugged me and said, here I am. I thought, well, this wasn't so bad. So what if I'm wrong? That's when I decided to take my chances. I do that even now. Like a while back, my husband's son and I got this great husky Kiki, and I decided to take him for a walk. I thought I should socialize him with other dogs, and I saw this guy in the corner with what looked like a friendly dog. Now, I probably should have walked right up to him, but instead I shouted out, Hey, can my dog meet your dog? And he said, Sure. So I walked Kiki over, but as I got closer, I realized that what I thought was his dog was actually a fire hydrant. <laughs> now, I don't know why he said, Sure. <laughs> I hope he had a dog at home. <laughs> so I just said, uh, thanks, and walked away. I always felt confident about asserting my wild ideas. But as I grew older, I started to get a little shy about my appearance. Because in junior high, my creative dramatics director at our local community playhouse told me that I was too old to be wearing glasses on stage and that I should never wear them when I perform. Now, remember, this was the 60s. Glasses weren't cool back then like they are now. So to kick off my cosmetic makeover, I asked my parents if I could try out the new thing that was becoming popular. It was called the contact lens. I got my first one in the eighth grade. My parents wanted me to be responsible for my contact lens, so they had me pay for it for $100 with my babysitting money. I made 50 cents an hour. Yes, people did let me watch their children. Hey. I was the hot pick of the block with the moms and kids because I was creative. <laughs> Once a kid told his mother after he grew up, I used to just love it when Leslie Orr would babysit us because she would lock us in cages and feed us cereal on the floor. <laughs> Which really meant we played zoo. <laughs> now, with such an imaginative flair for entertaining children, it only seemed right to me that I should go into children's theater as a profession. My high school drama teacher also recommended that I pursue this form of theater too because kids' plays are over-stylized and she thought it would disguise my visual impairment. So I went for the animal suits, which no one can see out of anyway, and I played witches and mothers and maids. And that is where my squinty eyes were a bonus because I had that weary, wearsome, tired, exhausted look that a mother has. Heck, 
I was only 24. <laughs> when was I going to get to play an ingenue? What? Aren't I pretty enough? <laughs> then the call came for the Annie Sullivan part, and I was overjoyed. And Annie was even only 20 years old, my first young role. But there was a lot more for me that was to come ahead for me as the miracle worker than I had ever dreamed. I had never planned to share my disability as an advocate through my work on stage. So one night after a performance, a woman stood up in the audience and she stopped the applause and she announced to the audience, I have been legally blind for 35 years, but seeing you up there has given me the confidence to take charge of my life. Wow. And then I levitated and flew home. <laughs> No, but my whole life did change. After I got home, I could not stop thinking about that lady. She raised questions in me like, how could I say outright through an original play that disabilities should be seen as can do rather than can't do? Then, suddenly I got it. When it comes to utilizing limitations, no better roles for me to portray than Annie Sullivan and Helen Keller. And why not focus on their lifelong journey together after the miracle worker? That's when I came up with my play, Hand in Hand. In it, oh, <laughs> I have an audience of 50 sit in a spiral of chairs with their eyes closed and pass along props fascinating things to touch like a rose in a braille book while I act out the story. I have traveled with my play internationally for the past 40 years. <laughs> and I have taught workshops too. These were for kids with and without disabilities and these were great. Once in a theater workshop class, I yelled out to the kids, okay kids, be a row of teeth. <laughs> a boy in a silver wheelchair whizzed over between two front teeth and said, I'm the filling. <laughs> the kids that I taught on my hand-in-hand -hand tour, and like the boy who was the filling, inspired me to write and illustrate a children's picture book called The People on the Corner. It's about how to play fun and games where everyone can be included. I consider myself now to be a, an ambassador of inclusion, and I do think that I have created some progress for people of all abilities through the arts. But still, I know for actors with disabilities, only 5% get to represent their disability on camera or on stage, which is hard to believe since our largest minority is people with disabilities. 
and even more peculiar since the disability culture is the only culture that any one of us can join at any time. Right. Yep. So if you do want to support and promote awareness and equality for people of all abilities, reach out and embrace the splendor of our imperfect world. Leslie Orr. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you so much. Just beautiful. I just love that. The splendor of our imperfect world. Isn't that something that's just something? And thank you for all your sound effects earlier. <laughs> right? Right? I love it when she said, well, I love it when she goes, wake up, honey. As Annie M, I thought, oh my God, that's hilarious. Um, you told me a story about when you were in grade school and you used to do a baby crying outside of a principal's office and then run away. Oh, yeah. We'd run up to the office, you know, and look in at the secretary, and then they'd go, go on, just do it, my friends. <laughs> and then, of course, ditch me while I'm doing it. Yeah. But then I'd start, <laughs> and do the baby. And if you want newborns, put a napkin or something in your mouth so you get the, <laughs> I mean, a little, little tiny. <laughs> But anyway, so then we'd do the baby, and then they'd come running out and asking us, have you seen a baby? And we'd go, oh, no, we don't know anything about it. And then we'd run into the newspaper office and hide. So were there, were there babies at the school a lot? I no, mean, was that something never. that happened? So no. they were sort of curious that they're going, what? All of a sudden, there's a baby around. Uh-huh. Right. There must be a real baby. That's Just right. Just like loons, they talk. Okay. Um, you worked for the State Department for a while. Yes, as the Department a of State. Yes, yeah. I did. I got sent a... Um, and it was fun, I mean, because when I got to Lithuania, the ambassador there was, yeah, I'm, I went to McAllister College and worked at Dudley Riggs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Small world, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, but, you know, so, I mean, and they, they did workshops too, but each country was so different as far as how far advanced. Like, here I, I go to do hand-in-hand, hand and there's a group, and they're doing glass menagerie in Lithuania. Oh. And they're all people with and without disabilities who are totally advanced and all this. And, you know, and then you look at the program, Thomas Wingfield, you know, you just think, oh, you know, it's just so wild. But then I went, yeah. in Latvia, it was a little opposite as far as there's no mainstreaming, and it's a little taboo, or oh. your children should be here and away from those children. So I had a workshop with kids who are sighted and children from the School for the Blind. And I just get them in there and go, okay, come on, let's get in our groups and play these games. And then I thought, I want to ask them what they thought of this event without saying why I did it. I want to know why they think. I said, why did you, why did you think I had you come together today? And this little eight-year-old girl, Latvian girl looked at me and she said, well, it just shows we are all people. Yeah. That's it. We're done. That's it. We're going to go home now. We're all people. You have, you had an encounter with Paula Poundstone. (laughs) Oh, yes. And I I know, I I don't want to embarrass you too much, but I I wanted you to share that. Just that brief It was, I went to the Fitzgerald. I told her she was wearing her I just just have to tell you one thing. Yeah. I was standing beside a fire hydrant. So 
So tell us quickly, tell us the, that your encounter with Paula. So I, my neighbor Dorothy and I go, and she's an elderly lady, so we went early because I knew I had to help her, the blind helping the elderly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we were always in predicaments like this. And we go in, and Paula's just... And you're going, so you're, at the, you're at the Fitzgerald or something. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. at the front, you don't, you're supposed to see the star and then sit down and maybe after hope to get the autograph at the stage door. But yeah. she's standing right there, so I was so shocked. Of course, I did not know what to say. So I said, could you sign my book? And she said, sure. She said, what do you want me to write? I said, well, I don't know what to say. So she wrote down, I don't know what to say, and went here. <laughs> Paula Poundstone, everybody. <laughs> but look at the joy. Look at the joy that that brought you. <laughs> look at the joy. It certainly that did. Thank you, Leslie. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. decisions I think I could have made at the time. At 19, I abandoned my business major and switched to a theater major. <laughs> Crazy, I know. Woo! It went against all the principles my parents taught me, went against the idea of stability, and most daring, went against my life plan I had in store for me since I was 12. But the moment I felt the decision settle in me, it was like a piece that fit perfectly in a puzzle. My whole being was screaming, this is what you're supposed to do, Day. And it was right. That year, I landed my first professional show that acted as a catalyst in getting me into this industry. I met Sue and joined this gang of women on the island and have been thriving in that decision ever since. But you know, I truly believe it's because I went to the college that I did. You know, it allowed me to meet these wonderful people that helped me jump in, you know, connect me into this web that led me to pursue the feeding of my soul, other than my bank account. 
I was so close to going somewhere else too. But I happened to miss the decision day. You know, I'm a Libra, I'm indecisive, okay? And you know, if I hadn't, I think my life would have been completely different. You know, for one, I wouldn't have met my husband, I wouldn't have pursued theater, and I probably wouldn't be pregnant right now. Oh yeah, I'm pregnant, hi. <laughs> if you told 19-year-old me that 24-year-old Day was doing theater, had a job that combined business and art, you're welcome, Dad, plus had a baby on the way, she would have said, Shut up! Stop messing with me! I wouldn't have a baby. Well, you do. <laughs> See, if I'm speaking honestly, babies weren't in my revised plan for life for at least another six, seven years. You know, I was finally out of school and had time to dedicate to my acting career, you know, establish my IRA and continue strengthening my credit score. You know, babies weren't in the book yet but the universe combined with my naivety had other plans no let me explain okay see i finally got kicked off the good old parents insurance and had been in between different insurances and i was waiting for my new insurance from the new job i got to kick in to get back on the birth control that worked for me you know birth control is crazy all right so in the meantime i was checking my ovulation strips to avoid fertilizing and we were being careful Except one night. Yeah, I know. They say it only takes one night. But, you know, I wasn't ovulating. It was one night. So what happened? You know, dumb question. I know, I know. When I eventually went to see my OB, she said, you probably ovulated later that month. It can happen. Uh-huh, it can happen. Well, I have my surprise baby. It's a good surprise. It is. Though, I have to say, when I found out, it did feel like I did at 19, you know, making that scary life decision. Except this one didn't go against my principle of life, it just went completely off the rails of my revised life plan. You know, the life plan I had centered around feeding my soul. <laughs> it was terrifying. You know, it is terrifying. I didn't know if I was ready to step into this new chapter so quickly. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm still so young. I have so much to learn, and I didn't feel like I was equipped to take on another life. I mean, I don't even own a pet, not even a fish, right? But when I sat with, holy shit, I'm pregnant, it felt like a puzzle that fit. And maybe... This is my naivety speaking. But it felt like this is how my life should be going. You know, I, I can't explain it. It's just when you know you're meant to be doing something, going somewhere, the world just sort of pulls at you. And I think about it. You know, what are the possibilities that this beautiful little life kicking in me could happen? I mean, I almost didn't meet my husband. And I'm still doing those things I said I was doing before. You know, I'm still trying to get a good grip on my acting career, establish my IRA, and do all the credit scoring. But now, just with the baby by my side. And I'm still terrified. Still uncertain. But that's okay. 
No, life doesn't always go according to plan, and obviously I've learned that now. But you know, I don't mind seeing where it leads me. Wherever I may go, I'll be going with my almost didn't meet husband and my beautiful, beautiful universe surprise baby. from 1954 titled The Girl at the Mirror. Some of you might be familiar with this. In it you see a young girl, maybe 12, maybe 12, um, sitting and looking at herself in the mirror with a winsome look on her face. And on her lap is a magazine that's open to a photo of Jane Russell on the page. Now, art historians explain the photo this way. Oh, it's about a young girl, uh, not sure if she's ready to grow up. Uh, they point out that there's a doll that's been tossed to the side of the mirror, and that at the, her feet is a tube of lipstick. Okay, but what about the movie star's picture on her lap? See, I see this as a 1950s version of a mirror selfie, right? And on the girl's face is a wondering. Like, will she ever be beautiful like Jen Russell? Or will she ever be popular enough to be in a magazine? Or will she ever be good enough? Martha Stewart dons the cover of Sports Illustrated at 81. She looks great. I assume, you know, it's a magazine, I assume there's a little bit of touching up that's happened to the picture, you know. I mean, you know, she looks a little different. But she says, no, 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 no touching up, just great skin products. Fine, great, okay, I'm cool with that. But what struck me, here's what struck me. That all of the comments were about how young she looks. Wow, for 81 years old, look how young she looks. Not how great she looks as an 81-year-old, but how young she looks. Because that's the point, right? There are female members of Congress who I vehemently disagree with. And I'm shocked that they have ever been elected in the first place. 
but what I will defend till the end of time is what they look like. Yes, comparing these women to the Joker or to screaming animals, it's not good. It's not good. It just keeps perpetuating this assumption that we need to look a certain kind of beautiful to be accepted in this world. Young girls are paying attention, everybody, right? They're looking in the mirrors. The Southern Baptist Convention just officially, <laughs> officially ousted several churches who were led by women pastors. Yes, let's, let's get an amen on that, right? The initial decision was made last February, but the churches and their female pastors were allowed to appeal their ousters with impassioned speeches to the convention this last week. They were voted down. Oh, no, 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 no women pastors allowed. One of the female pastors has been leading a church in Louisville, Kentucky for 30 years. Now, a reporter covering the convention met a woman and her teenage daughter who had come to support that Louisville pastor. The mom said her daughter was devastated by the decision to deny the appeal because her daughter had hoped that she could someday become a pastor. And when asked about this directly, the girl said, it's not a sin to be a woman. Let's let that sink in for a minute. It's not a sin to be a woman, says a 14-year-old girl. Two days ago, a 13-year-old indigenous Colombian named Leslie was found with her three, I'm just gonna kick through, was found with her three siblings after having survived for 40 days in the jungle following a tragic plane crash that killed her mother. Yes, 40 days. 40 days, 13-year-old Leslie helped her siblings, nine, four, and one, survive venomous snakes, jaguars, relentless rain. The fact that they were all still alive is a miracle. Leslie is rightly given all the credit for this miracle. The next time a young girl looks into a mirror, wondering if she will ever count in this world, I am praying that what she sees reflected back is courage and endless possibilities. Thank you. Zippy Lasky. Zippy Lasky. David Gerald Sutton. David Sutton. Thank you so much. Just gorgeous. Just gorgeous. I don't know if you realize that this woman writes a new song for every show. This one right here. Just incredible. Geraldine Steele. Come on up. 
Come on up. Sherilyn, something that I found out a couple weeks ago. Now, Sherilyn, you're not typically a songwriter. No, I'm not at all. No. And you've got siblings who are. All of them. All of them. Okay. Just, let's just be clear on that. Yeah. So when I invited Gerilyn on the show, I said, you know, we do original music, and maybe there's something from Javita or Billy or JD you could sing. And she goes, oh, um, I have written lullabies for my grandchildren. <laughs> okay, let's do those. So, Gerilyn, you, uh, you said you started singing lullabies, lullabies that existed yeah. for, your, for your grandchildren, and then you were thinking, wait a minute, I just do my own thing, Yeah. right? Yeah. So you've got three grandchildren. I do. <laughs> and there's your well, your oldest is is uh, Sarah, and she's ten mm -hmm. years old. Ten years old will be eleven in October. Okay. She said, "I'm double digit forever now." <laughs> wow. And then you've got uh, six-year-old Shade. Yeah, yeah, that's our singer. She can just has a beautiful voice. Oh, really? Is she yeah. the next in line? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Will she write her own songs, do you think? You know, she does. She oh, makes she them does? up just like that. Okay. Yeah. And then you have your two-year-old grandson. Almost Shagun. Running my life. <laughs> so what's one of the, okay, so what's one of the songs, like, like, like Shagun, the, 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 the two-year-old? Ah, Shagun. So he has this mane of hair. And he smiles a lot, and he loves his grandmother. When I come out of my car to get to the door, he starts stomping that foot. It's grandma! <laughs> yeah. It's pretty awesome, right? It's not cute, but it's awfully cute to me. <laughs> so the song I wrote for him went, I see your eyes, I see your nose, I see your lips. I see your ears, I see your hair, I see your hands. One, two, three, four, five. That's my shakun, that's my shakun. Okay, so then um, you were saying that sometimes that you make up stories with your grandkids. I do, yeah, as they're going to sleep, you know, I go yeah. in, and I'm so excited because they're ready. They'll ask me, Grandma, can you, can you give us a story? They don't want it in a book. They just want it to come from the soul, right? So I step into the room where they have cricket kind of beds, you know, <laughs> and then I sit on one, <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing, though. They would say, okay, Grandma, this is what I want to talk about. So the oldest would say that. Yeah. Then the little one would interject and say, oh, no, 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 this is all about unicorns, right, Grandma? <laughs> no, baby, no, that's not right. But she starts it, and I say, okay, you begin. And she'll say, the unicorn came down 
from a star I've never seen. And then I say, and the star, when it hit the ground on Earth, it just burst into a rainbow. She goes, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. No, no, that's not gonna work out. Every night, they've been here in the great state of Minnesota now for about three years. And they still ask for a story. Wow. That is remarkable. Yeah. It is truly remarkable. So I say to them, what do you want, baby? What do you want? I'm just going to give it to you. Just tell me what you want. Then she goes, well, I want this dress that goes like this, and it's got to have beads. I want a unicorn right here. <laughs> right here, Grandma. That's the six-year-old, right? And I'm going, no, baby, you can't have a unicorn right here. I can have a unicorn right here. I said, well, your grandmother's not going to buy it, so her grandfather buys it. Oh, did that tick me off? We are divorced. He's not supposed to rip that off from me. All right. Oh, boo. So the six-year-old, so what is her song? You have, a, you have a, a lullaby for her, right? You know, I told them I was talking about them today. I think I mentioned that at the yeah. beginning. Yeah, and she said, I don't want you to sing that. Oh, the and song said, that you've you written want, for her, she doesn't want you to sing she that. She doesn't want me to sing that. No. And so I said, well, what do, you want me to, what, do you, what do you want? Yeah. She says, this is my fight song. <laughs> Take back my life song. Prove I'm all right song. <laughs> my power's turned on. Oh, that's sad, y'all. Wait till I tell her what you didn't do. Is that where we go? Is that where we go? Ba ba ba. So good. So good. We missed our so good moment. All right. Now you also said that Saren, your ten-year-old, has said, "Grandma, you don't need to sing to me anymore." Yeah. I'm kind of done with that. I'm too mature. But you did sing. She's your first. Yeah. And you did sing to her in the early days before you were writing your own songs. Yeah, and she what did, loved it. And what did you sing to her? Skinamarinky dinky dink, skinamarinky doo. I love you. Skinamarinky dinky dink, skinamarinky doo. I love you. Will we keep going? Oh, yeah. In the morning and in the afternoon. I love you in the evening and underneath the moon. I want a man underneath the moon. That's what I need. <laughs> Skid-a-me-rinky-dinky-dink. Skid-a-me-rinky-doo. I love you one more time. I love you one more time. I love you. Uh, two, uh, uh, you too. Yeah, there you go. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you honey. Thank you so much. Bye, y'all. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Sterling Steele. Sterling Steele. Now, please help me welcome my guest for the conversation, Paula Poundstone. Come on up, Paula. We're going to get resettled here. I cannot tell you how shocked I was when the whole crowd sang skittily. I never heard that song before. Oh, Google it. In my life. Google it. I, you know, it was adorable. Uh, Jerlyn sings it, but then, Jesus, they teach it here. <laughs> no, 
there was no teaching. They already knew it. Oh, that's how they open up the Minneapolis St. Paul uh, City Council meetings. Yeah. I think Carolyn needs to send it to you now. I cannot imagine the look on my kid's face. <laughs> I started singing skittily. They would have told me not to sing to them long before they were dead. You kids want that song again? Good night, Mom. We're sleepy. Good night. I was thinking, Jerlyn, if you tried to tell a story to DeSantis. And then the star broke and the rainbow came out. We'd be bailing you out of the pokey right now. That's what I think so. I think so. Absolutely. And we'd do it too. We would march to Florida. <laughs> yes. We'd march like this. Skiddly ling ding ding diddle ding do. Actually, I think that's a missed opportunity for a protest song. I really think that is. I think we need to think about that. And by the way, it's skinnamarinky dinky do. You're gonna edit this, right? You're editing this. Skinnamarinky. Okay, editing this. Am I correct? Not this. I'm not no, editing. No, you're editing. No, not this part. No, because I have so no. important to tell you. This is so. Fuck in. you. There. It's okay. Skinnamarinky dinky dink. Skiddly dink. Skinnamarinky. But she's skinnamarinky. Oh. Skinnamarinky. I know. Now Geraldine's arguing with me. Oh, I know that song. And we do have an E on our podcast, so you know what E means. No. E means Skinner. explicit. Skin, oh. We, you have to. Oh, All right, anyway. Oh, really? Because Minnesota. I, I, I thought it was all podcasts. You guys don't have an E on your podcast? No. I bet you do. Oh, do we? We probably do. Yeah, we probably Actually, do. Somebody over here said there were no... Do we have an E on our podcast? I have a podcast called Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Oh. She does, an amazing podcast. Who is the youngest person in this room? Do we know? There's 17. 17. Oh, is that Josephine back there? Josephine, Josephine, yay, jo- Josephine. Josephine's how old? 17. 17, because when we were kids, when we were growing up, 17 year old, when we were growing up, for A, we had science, and uh, <laughs> they gave that up, but we did, we had science. And in our science, remember, we were, always, we were taught, like in elementary school science, we were taught that we were mammals and that what separated, right. what made a mammal was that we had, we, mammals have fur, they breathe oxygen, they don't eat their young, they give birth to like a, 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 a formed thing, not an egg, right? There's probably a better way of saying that. And, uh, <laughs> but then they would say to us, what separates us from the rest of the mammals is we, um, we reason and we use tools. And then Jane Goodall came along and proved that we are, although we may be the most arrogant species, we are not the only species who's used tools. Remember the film we saw with the chimpanzee sticking the stick down the hole and eating the ants off of it or the bugs? So we're not the only species that use tools. And then reasoning, we, they just stopped saying that after a while because it was embarrassing. I guess. But now they've retooled the list. Yeah. The things that separate us from other mammals um, is that we have a podcast. 
I'm glad that I can, I can be a part of that. The, mam the mammal world definition. Skinamarinky dinky dinky. Hey, she's getting it. She's getting it. Skinamarinky. Oh, okay. stop it. <laughs> All right, let me, I know, I know everybody in the room knows who you are. And uh, I know everybody listening on the podcast will too, but just in case there's one, I'm gonna go through it. Just a quick little bio, okay? Oh, sure. So, um, comedian. I don't know, really, is that not obvious? Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you're born in Alabama, grew up in Boston, now live in California. Toured all over the country for 40 years. You've been touring for 40 years, 40 right? something. 40 something. 40, 40 okay. a couple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 40 a couple of. Panelist on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, Dad. Everyone's favorite. You're the favorite panelist. Oh, wait, wait, don't tell me. Yeah. And then your weekly podcast that you just mentioned. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. Nobody listens to Paula yes, Poundstone. Right. Yeah, right. You've written two books. There's nothing in this book that I meant to say. Came out in 2006. And the totally unscientific study of the search for human happiness. Your second book came out in 2017. You are the first female comedian to win a Cable Ace Award for Best Comedy Special. You are also the first female to ever host the White House Correspondents' Dinner. You are, um, does somebody say Skinner Marinky Dink? Skinner Marinky Dink Dink. So you are also a mom of three kids. You're a mom of three kids. I'm a mom of three kids. And you are the keeper of a myriad, or maybe even a zoo, of cats and dogs. And there might be some other animals too. Uh, currently I have 10 cats and two big dogs. Okay, can I just, okay, I wanna it's go with- It's fluid. It's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. Yeah. I wanna go with these firsts first. So the first woman to win the Cable Ace Award um, for your comedy special Cats, Cops, and Stuff and the first person uh, in the 73rd year of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. They went for 73 years and then they finally had a woman. And this was George Sr., George Bush Sr. It was George Bush Sr., yeah. yeah. First off, you were telling me that it wasn't as big of a deal because it wasn't, um, it wasn't on television. No, it wasn't televised back yeah. then. Right. It really was more like, uh, it's, you know, the White House Correspondents' Association. You know, it was a, a once a year, day for the, the White House correspondents, yeah. you know, and they were, at that time, they weren't talking heads on television shows. Uh, they were, I don't know, we just started having cable back then. It was, in fact, the guy who was the head of the White House Correspondents Association was, at that time, was Charles Bierbauer uh, from CNN. So this is a long time ago. And uh, so they, yeah, they weren't all like stars in their own rights. They were really a lot more like the uh, His Girl Friday kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know what I mean? Like, in fact, the, the, where they kept the press at the White House was, I swear I'm not making this up, it was like in an unfinished basement <laughs> downstairs in the White House. It wasn't glamorous in any way. Wait, so that's where the dinner was? No, that's not where the dinner was. <laughs> oh. It's where they kept the White House oh. press, the White House correspondence. Oh. I got it, I got no, it. No, the dinner. Yeah, was it like a ballroom somewhere? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But you were telling me that afterwards, the press reporting on you, all they wanted to talk about was what you were wearing. They did. It was a small, a little blurb yeah. in the Washington Post, and it said what I was wearing. Which I only seen clips of the guy who did it this last year. I heard he was great, but uh, I don't think who anybody did, oh, oh, wrote was, about um, what he wore. No, of course not. 
No, they didn't no. write about their, what they wear. No. no, it was only one time they w- wrote about what a guy wore, and that was when Obama wore a brown suit I one know. day. Ooh. Tan suit. Ooh, the tan, the tan suit. suit scandal. Right. Tan suit gate. The FBI is still investigating. I know. When I was talking to your manager, Bonnie, she goes, you know, this is all pioneering stuff. This pioneering that's stuff. That's the kind of stuff Bonnie says. I know. Okay, well, that's okay. really pioneering I know. stuff. But I mean, I'm just saying... Pioneering is like, you, you know, with raccoon hats and... But does it... You does know, it, like but canoes and bugs all over you and stuff. This is okay, not really... But it, was a it, it was a ballroom. It was a ballroom. All right. We were in a ballroom. And it wasn't, it wasn't really. I didn't discover the ballroom. It was already there. But did you? I turned to the president. I said, "Stop here, sir." <laughs> no one enters without me. First. I believe we've come upon a, a natural ballroom. <laughs> so my my question is, did it feel like yes, a glass ceiling breaking moment? No, it didn't. No, no. it really didn't at okay. all. I'm telling you, it wasn't the event that. I mean, maybe it's because it wasn't that good. That could be part of it, but. It wasn't. How it could you not be good? How could I, you not be good? I was really just okay, honestly. How do you know that? You I don't know. Okay. You're too close to it. How do you know? Uh, you don't know. I've That's seen, for us I, to I've judge. Seen, I, I have seen footage? I've seen footage. Okay. <laughs> I was really just okay. Is that but, footage but still anyway, out there? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really a, a pioneering thing. Um, my plan, by the way, was that I... You know, when Charles Bear asked me, and they explained to me what it was, you, you know, I was like, well, boy, it doesn't sound like I'd be very good at that. And uh, I'm a proud Democrat, and, and I didn't want to entertain George Bush, for one thing. Yeah, right. right. And, uh, and then Charles sort of explained, well, it's really for the correspondence. It's not, you know, you don't have to be, okay, all right. And I said to him, I forget how old I was, but I was young. And I said to him, uh, I go, okay, but here's the thing. I don't want any pictures with Bush, okay? I don't want, I'm there for the correspondence, and that is it. And uh, I have to, I think he like turned from me to wipe the smile off his face. Uh, he was like, yeah, okay, that's good. That's Don't you have to sit up there with him? Don't yeah, you sit up there? Yeah, but I was not gonna look at him. And if there was anything I had to say, yeah. I would turn to a Democrat and I would say, you <laughs> tell him that I said, no, so, all right, so it's, now it's the day of the thing, yeah. and uh, you know, I've flown in, I've flown to, uh, you know, I'm staying, it's in a hotel in Washington, D.C., and uh, I get there, and this is again in the old days, and so the red light, remember there used to be a red light yeah. on the hotel phone, and the red light oh, was oh, on, yeah. and I called down the front desk, and I said, the red light was on my phone, and they said, uh, the White House is calling. Oh, seriously? Yeah. So I call the White House back. <laughs> I spoke directly with the Blue Room. No, I call the White House back and they tell me the president would like to meet with me that afternoon. And you know, I had such resolve that I wasn't gonna talk to this guy. <laughs> I shoved my spine under my bed and I bloody flew to the White House. <laughs> I had some friends with me. We were there for hours. He was like showing us around. It oh, he was? Yeah. He was like giving you a tour? Yeah. He, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
He has that See, much time. He wasn't like Trump. He didn't do that Trump thing. Like, this is secret. Look at it. He didn't do that. <laughs> Nobody's opera. supposed to see this. Look at it. Look at it. Is this on? <laughs> so George Sr. gives you a tour of the he White did. House? Okay. All right. So I think we were in the blue room, and okay. he showed us anyway. his office. Yeah. But there's a little teeny office okay. that, that's not you know, fancy in any way. And it has a long window and the window ends in sort of a little shelf like a, yeah, you, you know, where you might like a sit. sill? Yeah, a sill. <laughs> One would call a sill. Silly dorinky dinky dinky, <laughs> silly dorinky do. Uh, yeah, it, but, it, but it was a low, it was a low sill, like a shelf, kind yeah, of. Yeah. And um, it, we're all, like I, as I said, I had these friends with me. It's a teeny, it's almost a broom closet. It's a very small space, but there is indeed a desk in there. And he said, you know, sometimes I come in here and, you know, when I, when I want to, you know, get some work done, I come in here and... And uh, we all sort of, you know, Roman guards in, in Life of Brian shuffle into this little sure. teeny room. Sure. And I'm sort of pushed to the back of the room, and there's a curtain over this window with this sill. Uh, window seat? And was the, there a window it was seat? like a window seat. Okay, we'll and go with the window seat. And the curtain moves back a little bit, and there's seat. a stuffed toy, like a children's toy there. Huh? And I, I push the curtain back, I see this thing. And I pick it up and I go, Mr. President, sir, have we inadvertently learned more about you than we were supposed to know? <laughs> and he said, oh, that. Uh, I said, yeah, that. Uh, he, sa he said, oh, that's for when the grandkids come in. He says, let me show you that. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say it, I didn't want yeah. to be rude, but like, yeah. I saw it, sir. It's, you know, it's not let me show that it to exciting. You. Sorry, He's like, yeah, let yeah. me show you that. Yeah. And then he starts, it's a battery-operated thing. It has a plastic hammer that when you beat it on its head with the hammer... What? It's supposed to spin around, I assume. I don't know. Because when he beat it on the head with the hammer, it didn't do anything. Wait, so it's take just a step the President of the United States beating a child's toy on the head with a hammer. <laughs> what? Wait, so he's taking a separate hammer? He, no, it was a plastic hammer that oh, came that comes comes with the it. I assume. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. okay. And, and he's banging on the thing. And that's the point of the toy? I don't know. <laughs> My concern went to the leader of the free world. Exactly. <laughs> right. And then he says, oh, the batteries must be out. <laughs> and then me and my friends were like, yeah, that's it, the batteries are out. It would be fascinating if the batteries were in, but the batteries are out. Isn't that too bad? Well, wow. let's leave that for another day then, sir. No, no, I want to show you, he says. I swear I am not making this up. I know, he, I... He yeah. takes the batteries out of the machine. Oh, he does? Yeah. And now, he's like, do we have any new batteries? He turns to the Secret Service. Yes. And he goes, do we have any new batteries? And they start taking the batteries out of their headsets. Oh, no. That Whoa. they would use to call for assistance if the president was assaulted. <laughs> They're taking the batteries out of their headsets. And they put it into the little thing. And 
he closes up the top of the battery and he bangs it on the head and nothing happens and then he reverses which way the batteries went. <laughs> Not look at the thing with the plus and the minus. Logo. Yeah, didn't look yeah. At the thing. No, had no idea. <laughs> wow. And, and then and then, and you know and we kept trying to go like because we knew that eventually the thing was gonna turn, and great. Uh, like it was. I'm not. You know, I knew that it was gonna be anticlimactic. And I was hoping we didn't reach that point. So I kept going like, well, let's put it back for now, sir. <laughs> no, no, no. And he finally made it work and he banged the stupid thing on the head and it spun. Oh, it spun. And then we were all just like, well, that is fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and did you put that in your bit and your and your? No, your I've act? never told that story until now publicly, <laughs> never. I saved that. That. That aged like a wine. That, that aged. There's something about. Oh, oh the my God! It's like leader oh, of the free world banging a toy on the head with a hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you remember? Yeah. You know what? I think back on yeah. now. I think at the time I thought that was scary. Well, thank you for sharing. What is it? Skinnamarinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky-dinky
and self-defense with an instructor as as hour-long classes for as many days a week as I could prior to the pandemic or when the, pan- when the stay-at-home order hit. But he would have me do stuff until I was about to cry. I, like, and, and by the way, I, don't know, I never felt stronger as a result. But so I thought to myself, you know what? I want to be able to do push-ups. That was, that's what started out as my goal. And so I thought, what I'm going to do, and I, with him, I would do them, but on my knees. Um, which just, you know, felt wussy. So I thought, well, okay, we, we I'm going to build were, up. Those are girl, that's what we call girl push-ups. That's what they call, I don't know why they call them that. There's nothing particularly feminine about no, it. No, I know, but they're, and it's, you know, it's a stereotype. I mean, it strikes me yeah. that a man could do those. I bet there's men that do them on their knees, too. Exactly, I bet you're, I bet yeah, they're, they're I'm going to stay away from that on yeah, my okay. knees phrase, yeah. but... <laughs> So you're starting, you wanted to learn, you wanted to, to start? So I wanted, my whole yeah. goal was to build up to, to doing real push-ups. So, uh, so I started, I used to do it in the morning and again at night, and I would do my improvements, and then I would post it on Twitter. And the reason I would post it on Twitter was um, because I knew if I told people about it that I would feel like I had to do it. Right, of course. And then all these people started writing me, going, I'm so impressed, I'm so... And the thing is, I started with really small numbers, and my idea was just every week I would add one on in each category. For example... Uh, poor Hemplow, I would do, uh, 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 I started out, I think, with 10 jumping jacks, really not pushing myself too terribly hard. Um, and then uh, what did I, and then I would do, uh, you know, push-ups from my knees, and then uh, later somebody, I did uh, squats, I do uh, burpees. Burpees. Uh, I do very few burpees because... <laughs> Um, uh, some people, uh, some people write me on Twitter because I, I say, "What are burpees?" and I say, "The devil's tool." Uh, they're horrible, awful things. And uh, and then I do Russian twists. What are those? Um, you're okay. Like pretend this chair is the floor. So you're like this. Yeah. You're leaning back with your butt as the fulcrum, and you touch the floor on this side with your hands, and uh, you touch the floor on that side. Okay, okay, but okay. During the stay-at-home order, I used to do my Russian twists while reading from the Mueller report. <laughs> Passes the time. Yeah. Anyway, eventually somebody on Twitter challenged me. They said, I think it's time for you to at least attempt real push-ups. Yeah. And so I just sort of folded them into the rest of what I was doing. I started with three. By the time I stopped, and I did stop at one point because I think I was just plain overwhelmed and then eventually I started again. By the time I stopped, I was doing, uh, I think it was 70 yeah, you push-ups. Were in, no, no, no. Like, yeah, okay, and, and, and a three-minute plank. Well, I always did a three-minute plank. I know. Because the, the, the key to the plank is entertaining yourself. Because the hardest thing about the plank is how thoroughly boring it is. Yeah. And so all you can think is, you know, I can't wait to stop doing this. Right. And that gets in your head. And so I used to sometimes film it, and I would do what I call plank therapy, uh, which is I would have a camera down here, and I would just talk. Yeah. And I, I could do, well, as you know. Yes. 15, no. 20, 30 minutes. A I mean, plank. once I'm talking, there is no clock. It was really intimidating. It was very impressive. Every day, you're like, well, I did. And sometimes you would do two sets in one day. I used day. to do two sets. And then I stopped that because I didn't want to be sweaty But you were doing like, I did 59 this and 59 burpees and 59 I was like, I was tired just watch, reading the list. 
thinking, yeah. but what I didn't Damn often you, say Paul is I also ate a whole bag of Ruffles potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> but you said you stopped eventually because. Uh, but but people were following, people were doing it with you. Some people said that they were. Yeah. Yeah. A lot so of people kept moving. saying, you know, get a whole thing started during the stay at home order. And so people, uh, people kept writing stuff like, boy, I didn't have Paul Poundstone becoming a fitness guru on my <laughs> bingo card. But did you feel better? I did. I did. So I stopped at one point because I got overwhelmed and I recently, I mean, as recently as three weeks ago, started again. I have to say, it's the damnedest thing. It's the lesson that will not keep itself taught, <laughs> which is you feel better when you exercise. Yeah, right, right, right. I, damn it, I wish it wasn't true. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about, well, wait, wait, don't tell me, right? right. Wait, wait, don't tell me. You know, some of us in the room know Peter Sagal when he was a playwright. He used to be a playwright here. Yeah. In the Twin Cities. Oh, I forget that it was in the Twin yeah, Cities. Yeah, yeah, Twin Cities. Yep, huh. yep, yep. So he did well. Um, he's very good at that job. He's very good, he's, yeah. Every now and then they'll have somebody come in, you know, when he takes a vacation or has a you know, reason why he can't be there. Every now and then they'll have somebody, you know, replace him for the week. And they always do, do well, but uh, it, they are sweaty. The, oh, yeah. They are like well, so, because he makes it he, look easy. Yeah, and he's, he's he owns it job. now. But yeah. It's hard I mean, to control me. That's part of the problem that he has. No, he shouldn't be controlling you, though, right? <laughs> he, he, well, it's a game. That's the true. thing is a game, yeah, and it has, and they have a certain amount of time to do it in. Yeah, that's true. He feel, you know, he feels like he's have to say stuff like, well, now we're moving on. <laughs> Paula, now yeah, we're moving that's on, what Paula. Say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, your podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, and with your co-host, Adam Felber. Also from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Oh, that's right. Also from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And um, there's an Adam Felber I'll tell fan. him you said so. Yeah. Uh, so what I love about your podcast is that you have the fun banter, and you have some, you have some fun uh, um, sketches and some fun things that you do, and then you have your guest. And some of your guests, they're all people that you want to talk to, that you want to learn about, and that's what we do here on our podcast as well. But there was an episode with a school librarian that was recent oh, episode. She was great. And you know, there was a fascinating conversation about book banning and uh, book banning incidences and, and, and the prop, what I love is she talked about the proper protocol for when a parent has a problem with a book and that yelling and screaming at a library board meeting is not the proper protocol. Yeah. You know what's frustrating about the whole book banning thing? Is that, am I correct that Governor Pritzker in uh, 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 Illinois just banned book yeah. banning? Yes, in yes, Illinois? yes, yes, yeah. he did. Yep, well, yep, that's yep. what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. in fact, there is a protocol, there is a process. If somebody has an issue with a book, uh, there is a process. There's a process to choosing the books to begin with. And, they, and that's been in place for a long, long time. And guess what? We've been doing pretty good. Up, yes. up, up until the nutters started screaming, everything was going fairly well in that area. And it's a pretty small group of people that are doing this, but they're pretty well organized. And so yes. sometimes the people that are complaining at the school board meetings don't even have children at that school. No. They're just these uh, provocateurs, I think. You know, I looked up a list of books that have been banned. Do you know they banned Charlotte's Web? Charlotte's Web, Charlotte's yeah. Web. And, and you know what, it says why? Because God didn't make animals talk. Well, as I recall, there was a bush that was kind of chatty a while back. 
defies logic. So frustrating. Now you are you you were a spokesperson for the American Library Association. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And are you still? Uh, no. I, I mean, I'm not not a spokesperson yeah, for them. True. If somebody asks but me you were about it, officially um, yeah. a spokesperson. Uh, yeah. For um, I still do a lot of entertaining for their events yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, these yeah. the librarians. It's not like they all know everything, but they know where to find it. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, something yeah, yeah. very cool about a librarian. And who knew that they were going to be on the front lines of fighting for our democracy? I know, I, mean, it's, I know, exactly. It, you know, I don't think anybody saw that in their path necessarily, but I have to say those that I know have, that I've talked to have certainly stepped up to the plate. Yeah. So that's a cool thing There to was do. another episode recently where you had a, a woman from the International Women's Media Foundation... And they, this foundation trains female journalists how to stay safe in the field with tricks like how to get out of handcuffs with bobby pins and how to burn through zip ties with shoelaces. I mean, it was just an amazing conversation. You said you knew how to do that. I do because I learned it from my Taekwondo self-defense guy. Seriously? I, so yeah. seriously, you did? Yeah. You learned how to do that? Yeah. And I could also, what was the other thing I could do? Get out of, um, if somebody taped your duct tape. hands with duct tape. Yeah. Wow. So that's part of the Taekwondo thing? It was with this guy. I guess. I mean, he might have been a little. <laughs> now that you think about they, it. They were private classes. <laughs> But you learned how to do all the other kind of survival stuff. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. I, I'm not suggesting that anybody here should put handcuffs on me or tape me or tie me up. No, no. Because there is a possibility I couldn't do it in the real circumstance. <laughs> like right now on stage, you wouldn't yeah. really want no, to like... I'm not, no, no, no. You're not prepared for that. To, no, no, no. Okay, okay, right. No. Do you know I have one eye that just cries all the time? Do you? Yeah. I don't, I'm assuming it's allergies. Like, it's my right eye. You'd think it would be my left eye that would cry all the time, but... Uh. <laughs> I have to say, okay, I, I, I want to I ask you sort of a closing question, but I have to say before that, one of your videos recently, in the last couple of months, was something about, I'm going to show you my cat speaking. And you, have, you said something about, oh, my cats, they talk to me. They talk back to me or something. Here are my cats. And we see all your cats in your kitchen or something. Oh, my cat Hardy talks. Yeah, your cat yeah. Hardy talks. Here, I'll show you. And you're literally, you're pointing all the cats and you're saying, there's a tiger and there's a Mildred. And then I'm thinking, are you just making up the names of the cats? So they don't yeah, have I just cats? have cats come in on various <laughs> nights. <laughs> I just thought that I don't. Do even you not know. know the name of the cat? No, because you're just I kind of just, like I don't know, know Fluffy. I don't, don't have a good snowball. memory, and they hate wearing the name tags. <laughs> so <laughs> it just sometimes back. it takes me a few seconds. But she is. She's just making up the names of those cats, and yeah. the reason why they're not talking is because they're going. That's not my name. <laughs> That's not it. No, I'm my not cat Fluffy. Hardy usually I'm does. Snowball. <laughs> What are you talking to me for? Snowball. <laughs> See, that's why I, I stopped allowing my children to name our cats at a certain point. I, I said, no, because you guys are going to go away to college, and I'm going to be stuck with Fluffy. <laughs> that's why I do the naming. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you this. Your book, The Search... Uh, the, the Totally, totally Unscientific un Study of the Search for Human Happiness? Yes, that Is one. that the one you mean? That's what I mean. <laughs> um... 
So happiness. Uh, Remember when you interviewed Dickens? Then <laughs> <laughs> you kept going tail of tail. <laughs> so my so this sort of search for happiness, and sometimes this comes through in your act, in some of your other interviews, and that kind of thing. And obviously, the search is part of the journey, right? Isn't that part of the point? Do we ever find happiness? Do we really ever find happiness? Yeah, I think that you can. I think that it doesn't come in large swaths. Yeah. I think that it's sprinkled in. And, the, and the, you need a little something in your aquifer for when things, you know, go on the skids. I want to thank you. Uh, it makes me so happy. I was just about to say, I can tell you one thing that makes you happy. You guys are the greatest audience. You told me they were a good audience, but they are a great audience. And Paula Poundstone. And Sue Scott is a national treasure. <laughs> Paula Poundstone. And how Thank proud you. Minnesota must be of the three of these gems. Yes. Thank and you so, so much. Thank you so much, Paula. And Gerilyn Still. <laughs> and Leslie Orr. <laughs> and Day Yang. <laughs> Timmy Lasky. <laughs> David Gerald Sutton. And I want to thank uh, the Kerner staff. John Robinson, our engineer, Lexi Carlson, our crew, Bonnie Allen, thank you for taking our pictures, Kira Shukar, and Suzanne Egley, thank you for being our amazing volunteers and assistants. I do want to thank Bruce McCaffrey for sponsoring all the travel and hotel accommodations for Paula tonight, so thank you very much, Bruce. Thank you to Nancy Scott and David O'Connor for underwriting our producing assistant, Kara Shukar. Please visit our website, www.islandofdiscarderedwomen.com and find out everything about us all the time. We will be back soon. We'll be back very soon with another live Island of Discarded Women. Thank you, everybody. I'm Sue Scott. Yeah.